0: Just imagine, you post one of your photos on Facebook, and a few days later, you look at that post, and it has more than 5 million views. People post photos on Instagram and tag us, and we share the best bird photos from around Africa. This is a good time to say that you should be following us on Facebook, Instagram, and even threads. Well, we shared a photo from this week's guest on Facebook and Instagram, and it went viral. Just over 5.3 million views. So, today I chat with the photographer behind the photo, Clint Ralph. He tells us all about the photo and some of the other photos that he has taken. This is a fantastic insight into the journey of one of the country's, if not one of the world's leading wildlife photographers. And best of all, even though this guy's photos reach millions of people, he is one of the nicest people around. If you are a photographer, check out the article on the Young Wildlife Photographer's page on Antares Bushcamp. Luca and Gabby, two of our ambassadors, recently visited the Mgeti Hide at Antares and show that the venue is a photographer's dream. I will post a link in the notes to the show along with a link to Antares Bushcamp's page on the accommodation directory. Westermans is running a wild bird card competition. When you buy a Westermans wild bird, 10kg limited edition bag, you get two collectible cards. In addition to collecting the Wild Bird cards, you'll stand the chance to win amazing prizes worth over 100,000 Rand, including a pair of Swarovski EL 10x42 HD binoculars valued at 45,000 Rand. The competition runs until the 31st of August, and you can find more details at www.westermans.ca. Westermans, for the love of So my name is Adam, and this Proudy South African podcast, like always, is your weekly source of news about birds, birders, destinations, conservation, gear, books, and anything that we think birders will want to hear about. So, welcome to the show. Let's dig into this week's episode and find out more about Clint Ralph. So I'm having a chat today to Clint Ralph. It's fantastic to have you on the show. Welcome to the Birding Life podcast, Clint.
1: Thank you, Adam. I'm uh, thrilled to be on it.
0: So the reason we got you on the podcast is you smashed all of our records this week. Your famous Buffalo and Oxpecker photo got more than 3.6 3. million views on our social media. I mean, firstly, congratulations. That's absolutely fantastic. Well done.
1: Thank you. <laughs> Listen, it surprised me as well. It's uh, one of those runaway phenomenons that uh, surprised everybody.
0: I know you said the photo did well on your social media, on your Instagram.
1: Yeah, um, I I loaded it onto my Instagram uh, page, and um, I watched it, and it started running and running, and eventually it was building its own sort of uh, atmosphere and momentum, and uh, it peaked at just 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 shy of twenty five million views, which is the same it was uh, the the population of Australia basically, but twenty five million views, um, and it's still it's still kicking on. That's uh, you know, uh, it's one of those incredible things. It's very proud of it i think it's wonderful and gave me some great exposure
0: would it be fantastic if you got one rand for every one of those views
1: oh dude if i could get one cent dollar for every view it would be wonderful <laughs> no but that's the power of of, of social media
0: So that photo's done really well, and uh, it's really an iconic image, uh, You know, very powerful image. I've shown a few people the photo, and they really are blown away. It's one of those photos that you can almost imagine like in a five-star lodge when you walk in hanging on the wall. So tell us about that photo. Tell us a little bit about the story behind the photo, and also why do you think the photo has done so well? What do you think the appeal of the photo is?
1: All right. Well, well, first of all, uh, and I'm very fortunate, it's a finalist at the moment. Um, in the South African Photographer of the Year um, competition. So we are waiting with Beta breath. I'm hoping it, at least places or run up or something would be really nice. But it was one of those moments in time where um, it was so unexpected. We would sat in the, in a for through the night. We would spent probably about 14 hours in the heart and um, every bit was the next morning early. The sun was coming up so the, the light was in, into our face and the, the rest of the guys started packing up the equipment in the kit, and I was just sitting there waiting for the our vehicle to come fetch us. But I, I always keep my vehicles open, I mean, my, my, my equipment out and ready. You know, you never, never know what might pop up. And this herd of buffalo came along, and we'd seen plenty of buffalo through the night, so no one was really interested in the buffalo. And uh, they're, not, they're not the most photogenic animals in any case, and in, in, in any circumstances. But they came to the water, and I noticed that quite a lot of oxpeckers uh, flitting around them. And um, I noticed this one big bull come to to the water near this oxpecker running around its face and in its ear and picking near its eyeballs and that sort of thing. And I just watched it, and I watched it clamber down the nose, and I thought, wow, if this thing goes to drink, this is going to be a shot. And it did. It, It went down, and as the buffalo was slurping away, this little ox becker clung, clung to its mm-hmm. nose and snout and started drinking right there with it. And I pulled off a couple of shots and um, that was it. Got the lucky shot. I was the only one in the entire hide that got that shot. So um, I think there's a lot of people out there kicking themselves. But it was it was just one of those moments that, you know, it wasn't an exceptionally difficult shot to take or anything like that. It was just a moment in time. I mean, I've got a photo. You might have seen it as well with it, where a little um, – a um, uh, kingfisher was at a height, and, a, and a, uh, a dragonfly landed on its head. But it was there for literally a couple of seconds, and it pro- I got one shot off, and luckily it was in focus, and I got that shot of that. And it's one of those moments, nothing difficult, nothing exceptionally hard to take, but just such a, such a unique moment in time. And that was it for the buffalo and the oxpecker.
0: I think what's interesting about those photos, you know, there's always this um, question about, you know, you got to have really fancy equipment and not to take anything away from that photo, but I think what makes that photo so good, and the photo we'll talk about in a moment, it's photos that you could probably get without having fancy, fancy equipment. It's more, uh, the I would say that photo leans more towards the skill of the photographer as opposed to the equipment that was in your hand.
1: Yeah, n- not even, you know, Adam, Um you know, there's, there's, there's times when the equipment is, is so important because it's fast moving and it's all over the place and your focus has got to grab the, the, the subject quickly. But that particular focus, I think any equipment would have got that shot um, and any person would have got that shot. It's, like I said, um, the only thing that was, that was in my favour was I saw the moment and I recognised that this could be an opportunity where nobody else did. So, you know, it's... It's been it's been awake and been in tune and and predicting things that could happen that could make a special a really special photograph. So that one I realised if it did such and such a thing, it would move down the no, the, the snout and it did drink. It would be a great great image. Um, the rest of the guys were just watching them and enjoying the birds flitting back and forth and on each buffalo. So. Equipment, I don't think would have been. Yeah, you wanted to be sharp, uh, sharp and a decent color, and um, but the rest of it wasn't difficult at all. It was just recognizing that there could be a moment. here that that has to be photographed and has to be documented, and uh, that 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 was that shot.
0: What was quite interesting about the photo, and maybe uh, you know, for those that aren't photographers, talk we'll kind of talk about other stuff around nature and then the moment. But what was very interesting about that photo, and someone commented on it, and I actually I picked up why. I think you did it but it's quite a quite a, a tightly cropped photo you know normally a lot of photos with buffalo it's kind of like they show the the horns that. but you got that photo it's quite a sharp, sharp um, crop and maybe you can just talk about your your process behind the cropping and that because I think that's a an interesting conversation around how you crop your photos because you know oftentimes you take a photo in the the frame and the way you crop the photo is gonna make or break the photo in the long run.
1: Yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, there's, if there's one tip I can give everybody out there is, don't do what everybody else is doing. Everybody out in the world, is they fill the frame with the subject. Um, and it, it's just so boring. So you've either got to have the subject a lot smaller in the one corner maybe and they have a lot of the landscape and the, the environment that it lives in, or you, you crop it up real tight. Um, and I do quite a bit of that sort of tight cropping. You get a little more detail. And nobody, or a few people, do it. So you don't see. You know, at the end of the day, your image has got to pop. There's so much social media. There's so many billions of photographs being taken out there, and to stand out from the rest, you've got to do. You've got to do differently. You've got to be slightly different. Your subject matter must be different, as well as how you present it. Um, and one of the pre- uh, one way to present it is, is that tight crop. So because the little bird was so small and the buffalo had such. A character in its face. It was full of scars, and it was an old bull, old Duggar boy Now he he demanded that we focus in on that face of his. Um, there was no need for the legs and the body and all the rest of it. Um, you wanted to, you wanted to see that detail. You wanted to see the scarring, and you wanted to see that little bird. You know, in, as a, as a, so tiny against that big head. This is really the the Goliath and the little David and Goliath kind of scenario. So, yeah, I think that one demanded a, a tight, tight crop, um, perhaps even tighter. But I thought what, how I did it there was pretty optimal.
0: I love the way you're describing that. You know, you're almost, as as I, as I think about that, it's almost like you're getting this idea. I mean, all those little scars on the face and that, they all, all tell a story. I mean, that, that buffalo has lived many, many years and all the little uh, scars and everything in that that image. If you look carefully, it's all telling the story of that the long journey that that buffalo has been on
1: hundred percent and they're such gnarly animals and they're such angry and they're angry with the world and they're all you got this consistent headache and, and you know so you, he's just they got such character they, they, those heads and those faces good absolutely the rest of the thing looks like a normal cow in a, in a cattle farm but those heads and that boss and that scoring just just makes those beasts they are and they beasts they're absolutely big brutish beast um with that soft little gentle bird it would have been nice if it was a yellow bulldog specker, it would have really made it special but uh, yeah it is a, it is a great image
0: and another photo that is actually my favorite that you've taken is not my favorite is not even that photo but we'll see how well the other photo does on our social media in the next couple of weeks but my favorite photo you've taken is the jackal buzzard photo and again i think what you're speaking about that interesting kind of story there's hundreds thousands of pictures on the internet of jackal buzzards but that jackal buzzard picture you got and people who haven't seen it um either go check out um clint ralph's instagram we'll pop we'll pop the link into the show notes or it'll be on the on the the burning life next couple of weeks but the jackal buzzard you know it almost for me it almost looks like this military bird like it's got it's almost like it's i'm using people terms now like it's got its arms behind its back and it's taking a stomp along and that's an absolutely fascinating story tell us about that story about that picture because i just love that photo
1: that is that is a fascinating one. I think he's. I think I think when my nickname for him is Johnny Walker, um, I think Johnny Walker probably got more uh, views than what uh, the Buffalo and the Oxbeck got. But that and and that particular guy um, has been around the world. I don't know how many times. It, it just keeps every say, six months or so. It'll pop up and it just runs and then it'll pop up and runs. But what a lot of the kids do. I think it's called Panda something. Um, there's a there's a a a platform called, I don't know, something Panda. Anyway, it's it's got millions and millions of the youth that follow it. Um, Bored Panda. Bored Panda, I think that's what it's called. And um, these youngsters took took old Johnny Walker and they did memes with him. So they put Putin on his back. Then they put uh, Johnny Depp. Then they put uh, the the, um, Gladiator. And they took him and they did so much with that, that photo of that. It made it. It gave it a new life, and it just absolutely ran. But also one of those shots where it was, um, we'd sat in the hide up at at, um, at Giant's Castle, and um, we'd pretty much finished the session. And this particular guy came in, um, and I, 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 I took my shots of him. And the, the shot I was looking for was the landing with his wings spread out and the claws, the talons outstretched. That is the shot i was trying to get. But these cameras are so fast, so I shot. But I always, I never stop when I think that the, the the action is finished. I always take a few after afterwards, so you don't miss something. And I took the shot of him coming and landing. And as he landed, it, it, I got all the shots, and it was I could tell it was in focus. It got back to the the the, uh, the lodge that night and started scrolling through, and got great shots of the landing. But that the last three frames or so were of this guy. Tucking his wings in and marching straight towards me. So again, one of those shots that were the, the first few shots were the technical ones. That shot was just the just one of those great shots, Opportunity, opportunistic, lucky, a lot of luck involved. Um, and yeah, managed to get this, and again, cropped it in quite tight because uh, the original um, raw raw file is a lot bigger than that. So, um, but that they they, it, it, they um, the equipment comes into play because. The equipment's so good, and if the image is sharp, you can really crop these things like 50% without losing much detail. And um, in that particular occasion, I cropped it in quite tight. And and the camera allowed, the technology in the camera allowed it.
0: I think what's interesting about both of those photos and the interesting thing is almost like it sounds weird, but it's almost like we see something of ourselves in them. It's almost like the the jackal buzzard. It's almost like it's a human, It's almost like a human thing, and it's the same as the yes. the buffalo. Yes. A lot of people that have commented. It's almost like they like they it's it's almost like it sounds weird, but it's almost like a picture of hope. It's like oh, if we could just behave more like this and work together, and and maybe that's what that's what just grabs people's attention. It's like maybe you know, it's almost like that idea when you look at your class photo a long time ago when we were in school, and the first person you look for is yourself. And maybe what draws us to these photos is we see something of ourselves or something that we, we wish we, should, we could see in ourselves in these photos.
1: Absolutely, absolutely. So, yeah, the, the human factor, I mean, you, you, that, that Johnny Walker, everybody, I mean, the, the comments about he's walking like a soldier, he's got attitude, and, and a whole lot of wonderful things. And, and exactly what you said about the buffalo, people say, I wish we could live in such harmony um, with one another. And I think that resonated with the, the, you know, the difficulties that the world's facing at the moment. With, with, there was there's so much um, anger out there, and I think that that is what resonated with everybody. Why can't we all just live in harmony and, you know, be, be good to one another and help one another? And and uh, you know, as the as the bird is is assists the buffalo in a lot of its uh, keeping it clean, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, the buffalo doesn't have a problem with the there because it warns of danger. So, you know, there's a great harmony between the two. And I think that's what people were, they were drawn to that. And no doubt about it.
0: So this is a birding podcast. So I want to ask you the big question. Are you a birder or do you consider yourself a birder? Because I know that your son, Jordan, he is like crazy into birds and that just now. He just got engaged recently. Congratulations on that. Thank you. Do you consider yourself a birder or how how would you describe yourself?
1: Right. I, I used to be quite an a, a ardent birder probably about five years ago. I was really into into it. And then I slowly got more and more into the – and I used to do only literally bird photography um, and birds in flight. That was my thing, uh, That which was great in the beginning because it teaches you how to use your camera and how to use it quickly, and you know, all the difficult parts of uh, photography. But um, – over the years I've become a bit rusty I must be honest uh, and also in those days Jordan used to be with me everywhere we went so he was the top birder and he would help me and teach me and guide me in in birding so you become pretty pretty good um, when you've got a good a good teacher and then um, obviously he grew up and he's got his own life and he disappeared and he's now he does um, environmental study impact studies um, for different companies and he's a he does a, a lot of bird guiding, so he's, he's exceptionally busy with his bird guiding as well. And um, my my, I've become rusty, so I know a lot of the birds, and, and I'm, I'm not a not useless, but I certainly wouldn't call myself um, a top birder or any decent birder. I'm just a, you know, a weekend warrior birder, yeah. but I try. <laughs>
0: But what has been quite cool about just following you on social media, which is quite nice, um, is the fact that you draw your family into it and probably part of Jordan's love of nature and what he is doing right now goes back to the, I believe the impact you've had on his life. You know, how have you got this? Because a lot of, the reason I asked this question, it's, there's a lot of people out there that are fantastic photographers and, but it's almost, even in the birding community, it's almost like their photography journey and their birding journey is totally disconnected from their families and it's almost like you have this fantastic life list or fantastic photography, but your family is falling to pieces, and it seems like you're doing quite well on that. And you know, how do you get that balance? How do you bring allow your family to be part of your journey?
1: Yeah, I think, I think, Adam, I think I'm I'm very blessed um, and very fortunate. So I I do have my own business, which allows me a lot of free time and time to travel. Um, my family, first of all, Jordan, the first time he was in the bush or in the game reserves, was about six months old. And he was always in the bush. Every once a month, we'd be somewhere in the bush. And I think that's what gave him his love for, for birding and, and wildlife and, and conservation. And um, my, my, my other son, who is now nine years old, and my wife, they also enjoy the bush. So every time we allow, we, we, time allows it, if I'm not taking clients into the bush, then I'll take them along. So obviously, there are times when I've got overseas clients and I, I take them on, on safari, then it's just myself and leave them behind. But we try and get to the bush as much as possible. And I think what, what makes it easier for me is that both of them love the bush. I mean, little Luke and Louise absolutely love the bush. So it's not a difficult um, situation to get to get to the bush as, as a family. Um, in fact, it's, it's wonderful because they want to go as bad as what I want to go. And fortunately, I have the time and my wife's got her own business as well. So we have the time and we don't have to pity for only get so much leave a year. Um, which allows us to get get into the bush a lot more than most folks. So, uh, very blessed to be able to do that um, more than anything else.
0: And then, what? A, how did your photographic? You know, you spoke spoken about that whole nature journey and that type of thing with birding and that why you, why, you know, why you've stepped back from birding. How did the photographic journey start?
1: It's a, it's a funny story because it started off when I was here with my parents growing up. We used to go to the game reserve probably once a year, and I loved it. I absolutely loved seeing the animals and. Then uh, obviously, you grow up and you've got a career, and you follow your career. And I used to race motorbikes f- since I was thirteen, and I only stopped when I was fifty. And um, but I kept breaking bones as I was getting older. I thought, you know, the brain thinks you can do what the youngsters can do, but you can't. And um, I I kept hurting myself, and eventually, we said to me, "Man, you can't do business on crutches. You're going to have to you're going to have to throw, uh, hang up the boots at some point." And she said to me, she "Never ever demanded it. She suggested." Why don't you sell all your motorbikes, all your equipment everything, and go out and buy the best camera you can find? And that's what I did. I sold up everything. I went to Outer Photo, and um, I bought uh, a Canon. In those days, I can not remember which one it was. It was about, about six, seven years ago, uh, eight years ago. And then I bought some lenses and I started like that. And then what I would do is I'd find out who are the top photographers around in this area. And guns, and find out where they would hang out. So it would, in those days, there was a place called a place called um, Zabula, which was very popular. There was the Lily the Lily Hard in in um, out in um, Middleburg, and obviously um, the little uh, wetland out at Johannesburg. Um, and I'd go and sit there, and I'd just sit with them and, and and listen to what they have to say. And if I was lucky, they would talk to me, and and then I'd ask a couple of questions, but literally just hanging with these guys and learning as uh, over the months and over time and asking the odd question and um slowly but surely um got the knack of it and started learning and they would play tricks somewhere in that as i went out for a, 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 break, a, a toilet break they would change settings on my camera and i have no idea what they were doing so camera's not working what's going on <laughs> and it would be the the joke of the hard but um yeah that's how i learned I used to just hang with these guys and most of the time, 90% of photographers are really great people and really decent, kind people. And, you know, they'll help you wherever they can and, 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 and assist. So, yeah, that's how it all started. Um, in those, those days when I couldn't race anymore, I started photography. And I loved it ever since.
0: And what are some of the photographers that you look up to that have shaped your journey? So the
1: guys that have had the biggest influence on me is uh, Wim van der Heufe. Uh, I don't know if you know him. He's, he owns Tusk Photography, Tusk Photo. Incredible guy, an incredible photographer. Um, Brendan Kramer, he's also part of Tusk. The two of them have been great mentors for me. Um, there's another guy by the name of Gunter, uh, uh, Günther from Out of Photo. He's, from a technical point of view, he's an absolute genius. Also a very, very renowned photographer, very good photographer. So those are the guys that have sort of given me a lot of um, direction and help and I've learned a lot from them, and I think what I learned particularly from Vim <clears throat> was one big thing. He always used to tell me, Clint, don't take the shot that everybody else is taking. Find a different angle. Find a different subject. Find a different way of taking the photo. Um, use your flesh uh, uh, artistically. You know, so he used to drum into me, don't just take a normal photo straight up and fill your frame with the, with the buffalo or the lion or whatever it might be. He says, look for something different. Zoom in, crop in, zoom out. Um, he said, do different. Get down on the ground. Get on your stomach. Um, you know, So he was, the probab- he was probably my biggest influence. Um, and, and and what, a, what an incredible ph- photographer he is, someone you should interview at some point. Really, really great guy.
0: And then, I, this is the question I hate asking because I always get super jealous. What is your equipment setup you're using at the moment?
1: All right. So, I, my, for my bird photography, I'm used, I've used the R5. I've got two R5 bodies. I use it. I think it's probably, in my opinion, humble opinion, one of the best bodies out there. It's um, right up there with anything, it can challenge anything else. Um, then, for birding, I use the uh, 400, the F2.8 400 uh, Prime Lens Canon. And then for my wildlife, I generally use my go-to lens in the 70 to 200 f2.8. And I also like to use the 24mm, and I put it on a monopod, hang it off the bottom of the truck or wherever I am, um, and get up close to the, the animals and try and get those low-level, wide-angle, lots of landscape shots uh, with that particular, particular lens. The birding one, the, the, there's nothing to beat that 400. It's fast, it grabs the subject quickly, it holds the subject the whole way, uh, all you got to do is get that get that bird in the frame. If it's in the frame, you got you got the focus is locked. Um, it's almost a cheat. It's, a, it's such a great camera and body.
0: I think that's that's something which listening to guys who have gone across to mirrorless. It's I'm using a seventy Mark II at the moment with yes. the I think the Mark One the the Mark One lens. Yes, um, it's an our awesome setup on that type of thing, but I mean the the mirrorless has just been a game changer in terms of photography I mean, we've spoken to the guys from canon and that but i mean just hearing experiences of guys just talking about the the difference i mean it's 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 chalk and cheese going mirrorless adam it's
1: a cheat honestly it's a cheat it's such a game changer i mean i went from the the canon uh what's it uh, R, the, the, the um, 1dx mark Mark 4 or 5 whatever it was the last one which was an incredible camera it was really really good it's fast it's quick it's fast frames the focusing is good but it does not compare to the Marillus. that that focusing mechanism of the Marillus is just it's, just it's it's cheating it really is. I mean you I mean what what a small little tip uh, maybe your listeners might listen and and you can do it with the nikons as well so it allows you to focus on the eye of the bird the person or the or the animal or to focus on the head so what I always do, because birds are fast and animals are fast even, I always focus on, on the head. I don't look for that eye focus because it takes too long, it takes a millisecond longer to grab the eye as it would if it was grabbing the head. So, and it's both of them are just as sharp, so it's not like you, you, you're losing out on, on sharpness or anything of detail if you focus on the head rather than the eye. So that, that's pretty much what I do. Unless the, unless the subject is static or, or moving slowly, then you can focus on the eye. But um, a great tip for those mirrorless cameras is focus on the, on, the, uh, on the head rather than the R. But, yeah, those mirrorless cameras <coughs> excuse me, are absolutely, absolutely unbelievable. I mean, it's just the color range, the, the, the focusing speed, the speed of the shutters, the, the, the frames per minute, per second is absolutely unbelievable. Um, and it's light. It's a light camera. It's it's just you you can't fault it you really can't fault them.
0: I think I think what's quite amazing is I've got the looking at it, chair I've got the I don't know if you've got that book, the Ultimate Companion Bird. It Was a two-volume set that used to come with, uh, you know, it was uh, Peter Ginn and you know that book they did. Yes, yes. And what amazes me in that book is the photography is amazing, and these guys were doing this with old-school technology. It's amazing the photos that these guys were getting. And even going back to even going back and looking old. Uh, uh, what's the name again, the, the old Cecil stuff with the, the photographic guys. The guys were getting good photos. I mean, you were going out and flipping film in your camera, some of these things. And I don't know how they got the cameras they got. I would never be doing photography if I was using film still. I couldn't afford it.
1: Well, that's it. I mean, I started years ago when I was at school. I had a Ricoh camera. I don't even have to make them anymore if they're still in the market, with um, with, with uh, film, 35mm film. And I remember going to like the Kalahari and taking spools of 36 but you have to take buckets full of these spools, and out of a spool of 30s, you might get one shot. So the respect I have for those guys is is beyond. I mean, you have to respect them for the shots that they used to get. That, that, that equipment is just they were they were fantastic. But I'm sure there were a lot a lot of form went wasted. You know, you might get to a one in ten, but still they got the shot um, and brilliantly because uh, they only had one chance to get that exposure right, and the and they got it right. So some of those guys out there were just. Yeah, just fantastic. Gotta respect them.
0: As always, the Birding Life is proud to be associated with Serofsky Optic, one of the world's leading producers of binoculars, monoculars, and spotting scopes, as well as the Bird Lesser bird logging app. Spot, plot, play a part. Download and install the app to play your part in social conservation. One of the ways that you can help us to keep putting out the content that we are releasing is by supporting our online shop. We sell optics, books, westerman's products and a whole lot more check out the shop on our website www.thebirdinglife.com if you need any help with any of the products please don't hesitate to email us on info at thebirdinglife.com and then in terms of um, post-processing what uh you know what is your post-processing
1: yeah i use lightroom mostly probably 90 percent of my images are done in lightroom I, to be honest, in, and then I, if there's something else that Lightroom doesn't have, then I go over to Photoshop and I use Photoshop. But I hardly use Photoshop these days. So Lightroom's my go-to. And it's, I use Lightroom because it's also got a great filing system. So you can file your images when you download them. You can find them easily. It, the whole the whole filing system is really top top draw in Lightroom. But I'm finding nowadays, it, probably two years ago, I would take uh, an hour to 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 um, edit a photograph. <clears throat> And um, over, over time now, you know, also, and, and, and I don't want to blow my trumpet in, in, in any way, but um, if you take your photograph correctly initially in the camera, um, your editing shouldn't take longer than five minutes. Uh, not even, I mean, I, that's even too long. But, you know, you, the, the editing, it's like the Buffalo and Oxbecker, all I did on that one was I cropped it. I uh, fixed up the, 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 the uh, exposure a little bit. I just uh, upped a bit, Check, the, check the, um, the colors and the sharpness. Give a little bit, little touch of sharpness, and that is it. So, you know, you, you, you really shouldn't have to – unless you're doing something artistic, you know, if you're trying to do an artistic shot and you want to do um, high-key or you want to have a long panner, then maybe you need to spend a bit more time. But your shots, if, if you get it right and if you, get, you know your equipment – you should get a shot that you can pretty much post almost immediately. And you want to just brighten the colors and maybe bring some of the shadows out and, and crop it correctly but, and, and a, a touch of sharpness. But that, that, that's it. So, um, yeah, Lightroom's is my, my go-to program. Um, the, other, the other thing that I use quite often is if I – I do a lot of night photography and a lot of low-light photography. So I think it just gives you a much better image. When I use that, and my ISO might climb up uh, a little bit higher than I would normally like, um, I use the the D-noise, um, which is which is really really Adobe Dnoise, an exceptional program. It really does um, help a lot with, with a lot of um, your grain if your your ISO is a bit higher. Um, sharpens it up and the, the it fixes up that graininess pretty pretty well. So, another tip if you guys out there um, get yourself a WD noise, it's worth it. It's, it's a great program. It tightens up the, the phone, gives you a nice. Uh, if you I always, the other thing I always, always, always try and do, I shoot very, uh, um, I should normally shoot at F2.8, 3.5 around there. I try, and, I try and blur my backgrounds most of the time, unless there's something important in the background. Um, and then that program just softens the background even further. It gives you a beautiful. Uh, sort of um, bouquet the back, a uh, really nice soft background. So it's, it's a nice program. It's a great program to to utilize.
0: I see that the new the Lightroom, one of the new updates, they've got that new like AI denoise thing. It's quite it's actually quite cool. The new the, the it's one of the new updates they've done in Lightroom.
1: Yes, yes, that also works. I haven't I haven't used that much. Um, I do I do feel the the Adobe one seems to be a little bit stronger. Um, I just want to just make one hundred percent sure you quickly. Um, yeah, I, I, you know, that Adobe's got a couple of nice programs that really do work well. So if you look here, let me just see here. So the, they've got, the, sorry, it's not Adobe, it's Topaz. Topaz Denoise, um, and they've got Topaz uh, Photo AR um, and Sharpen. But for me, the one that really is, is strong is the Topaz Denoise AR. Um, it reads the photo, it scans it, and, and, and it, it takes the subject matter, sharpens that, and it takes the background and gives it a, a, softer, a softer feel which is super. I mean, I I think that's very clever and a great program.
0: I'd be very interested to know because the the reason I asked that question is is Tyron who's one of our guys who's part of the Burn Life team so if anyone from Topaz listens this is I'm just going to say it he says that Topaz is the biggest waste of money ever just what his his opinion <laughs> um but but that's just that's just Tyron but he he actually got an article and um it's just interesting he actually says that this new denoise update on Lightroom they reckon there's a lot of guys who are saying it pretty much does what Topaz does so it's quite interesting to be quite it would be quite an interesting co- comparison for some want to do the two and see you know is because apparently it's a it's a free upgrade on the on this program they say it does the same thing topaz does
1: okay i'll definitely have a look at that i'll certainly have a look at that look into that um it's it's definitely worth looking at yeah i I enjoy topaz uh some people love it some people hate it but yeah i'm i'm certainly gonna go have a look at your denoise in lightroom sounds good
0: and then you were speaking earlier about this whole thing about taking uh, photos from a different angle. And I think that's also something that Richard Flack was, you know, you know, he also spoken about, you know, this idea of looking for photos that are different. Because, I mean, you go onto Facebook, um, there's a hundred pictures that look the same of certain birds. I mean, the one picture you always see hundreds and hundreds of or thousands of even is um, like malachite kingfishers. Everyone's got their picture of a malachite kingfisher. And to be very honest with you, at go sits at... Uh, like panic and all the guys sit there and every single photo looks the same yeah, and yeah. you spoke about that earlier about doing photos that look that 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 look different you know how you know for people that are listening that are and i'm talking specifically about bird photographers because bird photography is a lot more difficult i think than than mammal photography how, how how do you think practically that would look you know in terms of you out on the field you've got your equipment you might have different equipment how do you practically do that in the field where you 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 have photos that stand out from the person sitting next to you How would you practically apply that?
1: I, I think I think initially you gotta just you gotta have a look at the environment you're sitting in or you're going to, and try and establish where is the best place to 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 um, to, to sit down or, or to, to to perch. Um, and, and one of the techniques I use, which it's a little harder because of the so like an f two point eight or f. Um, or whatever it might be, or 1.8, the camera takes a little longer to, to grab the focus, but it gives me a, a much, much better background. I like soft backgrounds. I like my subject to pop out in front um, and, and look for that. But, yeah, birding birding is, diffi- uh, is very different to landscape and to mammals, um, because they're in the air. So, I hate blue sky. First of all, you'll never see me shooting with a blue sky. Blue sky is my pet, pet hate. Um, I love overcast. I love uh, dreary weather. Um, So you know, that's that's a big no-no for me. Is 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 blue, blue, pure blue sky. You've got to have clouds or something there to give it a bit of character. But um, wow, yeah, that's a difficult question. Finding that 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 interesting shot uh, with birds, Um, I actually don't know. I'll be honest with you. Um, You know, when you're in the moment and you see something, you know, sometimes it, it it presents itself. Um, but, yeah, Adam, that it's not so easy with birds. I've got to, got to be honest, not so easy with birds. So you might want to try and, I don't know, lie in the grass or something and, and get down really, really low. If they come in, coming in low to land, if there's a feeding frenzy, um, I mean, I often will go to the aloe farm out in Dam and shoot those bee eaters. Um, and then, again, they try and try and set up the... I mean, what I do is I try and set up as close to the... Um, the wall, the the the, the sandbank is possible. So I get as little of the the the, the sandbank in, almost non-existent, and you get the birds fighting with one another and trying to get them, you know, beak to beak or, or an unusual pose. That's what that's what you're trying to get. But yeah, that's difficult. It, I don't have I don't have the silver bullet on that one.
0: But I think you said something very interesting there, and I think you've you've touched on something which I think is very important, probably not just for bird photography, but for photography in general i suppose i think the mistake a lot of people make is they they focus on the bird and they get this amazing bird picture i think one thing that sets like almost every good photograph you've seen on the internet one thing that sets them apart and you've touched on is the background the background probably makes or breaks a photo just as much as the subject in the front
1: oh it does in in all photography in both mammals landscape and birds without a doubt um, you have to, you have to check your your background. Rather than find a position where you got a clean background or you got an interesting background, um, than just shooting from wherever you find yourself. Um, background is is everything. Uh, I mean, there's a, there's a there was a famous tree at Apit Savuti, I know it's a bird for it. But there's a, there was a famous old dead tree at a, a waterhole, and it was just this barren, barren land with this one dead tree in it. And the damn tree fell over the other day I was pushed over by an elephant so that whole photographic opportunity is gone because now it's just a, a flat piece of sand uh with a bit of, with a water hole on it um so yeah your, your background is is as important as the subject if not more important um it can make or break a shot it really can but like i said when the weather's bad and a lot of people that want to go in this bright sun up because you get such high shutter speed and lower isos and you know everything's favorable but it gives you such a, a, a flat image. Um, you know, it's, it's it's not exciting. So when you see the weather's moody and when it's raining, if it's raining, get out there, get the shot in the rain. Because if you slow your shutter speed down, those raindrops can make that photograph as well. You, you know, the, the whole image just changes, and your colours are so much deeper and richer and moody. So look for bad weather. <laughs> Everybody's going to be out there in the good weather. You must go out in the bad weather. Look for the the. the look for the, the, the sunset shots and the sunrise shots and uh, if, hopefully there's some cloud about and your light's bad because that's when you get the shot. I mean I remember going to um, I'm trying to think of that place now but, um, there's, a, there's, a, there's a bird sanctuary near Johannesburg, yeah, um, I forget its name now. And I remember uh, going in it was raining and I remember going there I was the only person in that hide but, and there were swallows uh, there was a swallow family uh, f- busy feeding the chicks. And they were in front of me. And I remember using shutter, the, I mean, a, shutter, a, a flash photography on those on those swallows. And I got some spectacular images with real blurred wings and a, 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 a crispy, crispy sharp, uh, two faces with the beaks open and feeding one another. And then and the rain dropped in long lines. It, it, it was just beautiful. So um, and no one else was there. It was one of those opportunities where it was just fabulous. And uh, no one came out because the weather was too miserable. So go out when the weather's miserable. That's gonna get your best shot.
0: And probably another thing you touched on right at the beginning. You spoke of that famous buffalo photo where everyone had packed their equipment away and you stuck it out. Yeah. I think that's the other, maybe another tip that is is spending more time on the field. Because I think what happens sometimes is we see the subject take a you know spend two three minutes trying to take photos. But if you want to you know take your photography, I think one thing you've you've touched on maybe also spending more time. You know instead of just getting the spending five minutes, spend half an hour just watching the bird, watching its behavior, seeing yeah. what it's doing, because I think it, it it gives you more opportunity where that bird could do something that somebody who's just spent the two minutes there might miss.
1: Adam, yeah, you're absolutely right. Um, the more time you spend out there, the luckier you're going to get. It's, it's that simple. So get out as much as you can, as long as you can, um, and, and luck will come your way if, you, if you're out there long, long enough and, and enough times. Um, and yeah, just... just don't rush your shots. You know, look at what the subjects are doing. Look at what the, the environment's offering you, and then work around that. say, like, okay. Well, the, the, the best opportunity is going to be this particular shot. So, you know, and I find that people are impatient. They rush into a place, and you especially find this in the game, rush in, take 10 or 15 photographs, rush off to the next spot. That's not how you're going to get your shot. You know, then, that, then you're going to get the, the, the billion shots that everybody else has got. You have to try and spend time and take your time. Be patient. Be persistent. Um, you know, and have the consistency out there. S- spend time with your subject and, and and get to know them. You know, I mean, we we went up to Amboseli in Kenya and we spent a week with this particular bull elephant, looking for that one particular shot. And eventually, after about seven days, we got the shot. Uh, Vermin and I went up there and we we photographed this guy. It's the same with the Amboseli Lake. There's a there's a group of elephants that come across. They're called a convoy of elephants, long straight line. And again, for a week, we'd go there every day, and there was no elephant every day. And finally, we, we eventually got the shot. So, yeah, you've got, you got to be patient. It, it takes time. And if it was easy and it happened quickly and on demand, everybody would be doing photography. But it's not. So, if you want to stand out from the rest, you have to be patient, you have to be consistent, and uh, hang in there because um, the shot will come.
0: You know, going through your photos, just even as we speak, there's a you got a, a very distinctive style. You know, if people see um, Clint Ralford, your your photos, there's a very distinctive like style as it comes across. So I think one thing that I'd like to ask you, which is which I which I think is very interesting, is how can photographers? You know, they obviously start get a camera and they might look up to yourself or Richard Fleck or Isaac mm-hmm. Pretorius, one of the photographers mm-hmm. that are out there, and they might almost try and copy their style of photography their style of editing but how do you find your voice as a photographer where you where you start to get to a place where people look at your photos and say this is a specific style i mean there's obviously a part where you have to almost copy to learn initially but how do you come to a place eventually where you where people can discover their voice as photographers
1: i think i think what happens i think the 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 how the process goes is when we all start out, we all just take a muck and drick and we just shoot the Velcro fingers, I call them. And we just shoot anything that moves. We're just shooting it and uh, trying to get any photographs. But over time you start realizing that you need to be a little more choosy with what you take your photographs of and become a little more astute as to what you're going to do and how you're going to take the image. And then I think what happens is, um, it's your it's 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 a form of art. I mean it is a form of art and everybody has a particular handwriting or a particular style or and I think you know your handwriting then eventually starts coming through to the fore. For someone to try and copy a style, I, I think it's almost impossible because it's it's, it's like a personality. I mean, Vim's images or Gunther's images or my images or Brendan's images, um, they all they all different. We all go in the same safari bioke, we all take the, the same subjects. But each of ours will have a slightly different feel to it, and a slightly different, almost handwriting. Um, and like I say, I, I I don't think you can. I mean, I spend time with all those guys a lot of time, and I spend time going to their lectures, and I would go to their tutorials, and but I never ever, I never ever adopted their style, not intentionally or unintentionally. Um, I just developed my own style. So, yeah, I think. People You develop over, the, over a period of time with your photography and your editing, especially with your editing and your photography. I mean, I take a particular way of taking photos and um, maybe different to other people. And then my editing is also a, – a, a, but I, I really do edit a lot less nowadays than I used to in the old days. The other person that's a really top photographer that people should follow is Mark Dumbleton, um, also really a, a, a wonderful man. Um absolute gen- all of these guys, they're absolute gentlemen. You ask them to help you, they will help you, they'll go out of their way to assist you with your photography. There, Mark, Vim, Brendan, Gunter, they myself, I mean, if anybody wants anything, they're more than welcome to contact me, phone me, email me, whatever they want, Instagram, whatever. Um, and I'm always there to I always like to assist people because you know I like to give back a little bit. It's it's important that uh we grow. And I mean, to be honest, um, the work I do, the work the rest of us photographers do, it—it it all plays a role in the cons- conservation process. Um, you know, we—we we need to keep conservation top of mind, and you only do that through people's love of wildlife. And the, the way they start learning to love wildlife is either by experiencing it, and if they can't get to it, then by through our lenses. I mean, they literally live through my lens, and I had people. Uh, messaging me and calling me and saying, you, you give us such inspiration and such motivation to conserve. And um, I mean, I get involved with uh, conservation magazines and conservation bodies. So I'm always trying to use my photography to highlight the plight of our, of our wildlife Cause it's really uh, it's really under a lot of pressure at the moment
0: so people have listened to this episode and they've seen your the the famous buffalo image and the jackal buzzard and all the f- fantastic photograph photography you're doing we've got listeners from all around the world who listen to the burning Off podcast if somebody's listening and says, shes I would love to do a safari with with you, tell us a little bit of, a little bit about what sets your you guys apart in terms of when you do safaris. What can people expect when they do a, photo- a photographic safari with you? And also, how can people get more information if they would like to book to do a safari with you?
1: All right, so first of all, um, our, our, our safaris are very uh, mostly photographic orientated. So unless a person says, we just want to come and safari, we don't want to do fo- photo- photographs and so we'll just take them it on, on safari but most of my clients and then mostly the u.s clients um, and and european clients they will come and do photography and they will contact me and say we've been following you on, on on facebook or instagram we like your work can you take us out and then i will take them out and basically what we do when we're in the field there's a there's a few things that are important um obviously myself and the other guys we know the bush well we know the animals we know how they um, their personalities, etc. So we will set them up in a position to get the best possible photograph in that particular spot, wherever we find whatever the subject might be, be it birds or animals or, or landscapes. Um, when we're in the, in the moment, when we're in the zone and we, we're busy shooting, um, my job is to ensure that these guys go home with a bucket full of great, great images. So. I will I will guide them and coach them on what their settings should be at that particular shot. So if we're shooting uh, the Lamaches at at Giant's Castle, I'll tell them you need a shutter speed of X amount. You need and before they even come, I'll tell them what equipment to bring out um, for whichever safari they're going to do. So if they can do a a, a safari to the Elephant Plains or something like that, then I'll tell them bring your seventy to two hundreds, bring your low, uh, wide angle lenses, bring some GoPros, um, bring a monopod. You know, that sort of thing. So we, we in, uh, on the vehicle, we'll show them and teach them and coach them on what settings to use, how to use them, and what kind of shots should they be taking. Then we get back to the lodge or, or, or the venue, and um, we generally will do a little uh, short course on Lightroom or Photoshop and help them with the editing process. So you know, po- post-process is just as important as taking the shot itself. It's, uh, the magic is also in the editing. So we would help them and show them and guide them in, 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 in the actual uh, editing process. And then I think what's also important, because we've been around the block a few times, we know which lodges produce what. So if a guy will say to me, listen, I love cats, I love uh, lions, leopards, etc., then I know these are the lodges that we need to go to. If he wants to do birds, we go to that particular lodge. Um, if he wants to do elephants, we go to Kenya, we go to Amboseli, So. You know, we, we find out what is it they, they are hoping to go home with and the experience they would like to have, and then we, we um, structure the, 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 the package around that. So a lot of my tours are one or two people, so it's individuals. Sometimes, um, in mean, the last uh, a while back, I had, I had three American ladies came, came from Dakota, wonderful, wonderful ladies. There was an elderly lady and two young, her daughter and her niece. And I promise you, they had the time of their life. She came back six months later. She said, I've got to just come back. So I have a lot of repeat business, which is, which is really nice. But um, we guarantee you'll go home with uh, cards, uh, memory cards full of great, great images. It'll take them years to get through all those images. Um, but they generally go home very, very happy. So if you want to contact me, Adam, it's sales at clintralph.com. Sales at clintralph.com. Very easy.
0: Awesome. We'll pop that email address into the comments section as well as your um, your email address. But Clint, it's been fantastic to chat to you. Thank you so much. I've, we were chatting before the show and we won't reveal it yet, but we've got some stuff we've got planned coming up, which will hopefully help photographers get better at what they do. But Clint, has been fantastic to chat to you. I really appreciate Hoping one day I can come out and do a trip with you um, one day when I can afford it, but we're really cool to do that. So thanks for being on the show. I really appreciate
1: it. My absolute pleasure. And like I can say, if there's anybody who wants any assistance or any help, they are more than welcome to call me, contact me, email me, whatever suits them. They can get hold of me on sales at I'll help them wherever I can.
0: Thank you so much for taking the time to listen to this week's show. We really appreciate your support. If you have any comments or feedback on any of the episodes, feel free to drop us an email on info at thebirdinglife.com or send us a message on any of our social media platforms. We would love to get to know you better. So until next time, be blessed and happy birding.